This morning I'm really excited because what I believe that God laid in my heart only on about Wednesday or Thursday. And so I'm not, I'm not as prepared as I would normally be, but I'm excited because I really feel that this morning is going to be something of benefit to so many people here today. Um, and it's, it's really just I've had that confirmation again through the pre-service prayer meeting, through what Beck shared, through the worship, that this is a real theme and, a, and, a, and a, a, a focus that God wants to bring us to this morning. And so can I just encourage you, just prepare your hearts. Just be open to allowing God to speak to you and, and to see what he wants to just examine in there. Be like David where he says, search my heart, O God, and just allow him the freedom to, to have a look in there and to just maybe prod and poke a little bit and say, hey, how about we look at this this morning? And so it's going to be good. It's going to be good. Let's get straight into it this morning. We're going to turn to Luke chapter 5. If you've got your Bibles, if you don't, it will be on the screen. Luke chapter 5 and from verse 17, it says this. One day Jesus was teaching and Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there. They had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. Some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up onto the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles in the middle of the crowd, right in front of Jesus. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sin but God alone? I love it how Jesus does this. Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, why, do you, why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up. Take up your mat and go home. Immediately he stood up in front of them, took what he had been laying on, and went home praising God. Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, We have seen remarkable things today. We have seen remarkable things today. Today I want to ask you a question, and that question is this Who's in your corners? Not who's in your corner, but who's, who's in your corners? It's a good question to ask ourselves because it provides an opportunity for us to stop and really take stock of where we're at and who we have around us. And it allows us the chance to make the changes that we possibly have to make. Who is in your corners? Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for today. We thank you that you do move the mountains that you do break off chains. Lord, I pray this morning that you'd help us to have responsive hearts towards your word. Lord, open our ears to hear what you want to say and give us the courage to respond in the way that you want us to. Lord, I ask that this message would be applicable to every one of us, that it would impact us beyond just this moment in time and that we would take this message outside of these four walls. Lord, help us to know what it means to be a friend. Help us to be a friend like these that we've read in the story. God, compel us, move us, challenge us. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Who is in your corners? In this story, we see this man who is who's crippled, this man who is paralyzed. And we don't know how he became paralyzed. 
We don't know if he was maybe involved in an accident. Um, Maybe it was a result of a poor choice that he made. We don't know if it was something that happened that was outside of his control, maybe. We don't know even if he was born this way. The Bible doesn't give us that answer. The Bible doesn't give us the description of how this happened. But what we do know is that this man had a couple of good friends. These four friends, or, or it could have been more, it could have been less. We, we're not told exactly how many, but um, so however many there were, he had these friends. And so there were these, these group of friends who saw one of their own, one of their friends who wasn't able to do the things that they were able to do. Who because of a limitation in his life, because of something that was involved in just his life, he wasn't able to, to do the things that they were able to do. And these four friends, they look at their friend on the mat and they say, you know what, I know somebody who can change all of this. I know a guy. I know somebody who can actually uh, fix this situation that our friend is currently in. See, a good friend doesn't just leave it at good intention and leave you in that place, but will actually do something about it. And these guys, they demonstrated that they were good friends because they didn't just say, oh, something should happen to you. Something should be involved. But they said, no, no, we're actually going to do something about it. And we see in the story that these friends come and they pick up their friend on the mat, almost in a way circling around him, gathering around him. And they grab the corner, uh, corner each and they take him to the place where Jesus is. Now again, let's paint a picture of what these men were walking into in this story. The Bible says that Jesus was in a place and that in that place there were Pharisees and teachers of the law um, gathered together. They'd come from all around and the place was packed. This room was full of people who, who know the Bible, the, the high and mighties of the time. These were the people who knew about God, but they didn't know God. They knew all about him, but they didn't really know God. And it's these people that are there in this room. But notice what it says about Jesus in this story at this moment in time. It says this, And the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. New Living Translation says it this way, The Lord's healing power was strongly with Jesus in that moment. Isn't it interesting that the people who were in the room didn't experience what Jesus, who was also in the room, was enabled by God to do at that very moment in time. It doesn't mention that any one of the Pharisees, any one of the the teachers of the law, that any of them got healed, even though Jesus, it says, was empowered mightily to heal at that very moment in time. In fact, it's only after this paralyzed man gets healed that it says that the people were amazed at what had happened. But the people who taught the law, the people who thought that they knew it all, they didn't get what God wanted to give them, which tells, me, which tells me this, that even though there is the potential and the prospect for a miracle in the room, our response to it is what activates it. It's got to do with our response to what Jesus wants to give, what he is enabled by God the Father to give to us. It's our response which activates it. Just because Jesus wants to do something doesn't mean that it will happen. There is a part that you and I have to play in that process. The switch which flicks from potential to actual is determined by our responsiveness. What is our responsiveness towards what God wants to do? 
2 Peter 3.9 says that God desires that none should perish, that everyone should come to repentance and turn from their old ways. But just because God wants that to happen doesn't mean that it happens. We have a part to play in that. What is our response to the will of God? Even though there was healing power available, it's activated through our responsiveness towards Jesus. See, we can come week after week to church. We can be where Jesus is. We can come before the one who is able to do exceedingly and abundantly more than we could ask, think, or imagine. And we can get frustrated that nothing is changing in our lives. Could it be that it has more to do with our responsiveness towards him rather than that he isn't able to or he isn't willing to do something in our situation? God is able. God is the miracle-working, sickness-bashing, hope-giving, joy-restoring God. That is who he is. He is mighty and he is able, but the power is activated through our responsiveness. See, it wasn't until a group of friends showed up on the scene with a responsiveness that God could meet the need of their friend that the healing power went out. It was only when faith came into the room that the power came out. These friends picked up the mat of their friend and they went to the place where Jesus was. And isn't it incredible that they were initially denied access to Jesus because the room was full of unresponsive people? But they made a plan. They climbed the roof because that makes sense. (laughs) Have you ever been with a bunch of people and you come up with this idea and everyone is initially like, hey, yeah, that's a great idea. That's going to work. Let's do that. And then halfway through, it kind of dawns on you exactly what it is that you're doing. And somebody pops the question, why are we doing this? (laughs) This really doesn't make sense. I had an experience like that with some of the guys that I studied game ranging with. We were out on a, a walk in, in the, the reserve and we came across a white rhino that was sleeping underneath a tree. Now, white rhinos are notoriously, um, notorious for having incredibly bad eyesight and their, their hearing's not great either. But what they do have is an incredible sense of smell, which means that if you approach a rhino from downwind so they can't pick up your scent, you can sneak up pretty close to a sleeping rhino without it knowing that you're there. How close can you actually get to a sleeping rhino without it knowing that you're there? Well, that's the question we wanted to find out. (laughs) And so there we were, as quietly as possible, sneaking up on this two-ton sleeping rhino when we were about six, seven meters away, and then suddenly that question came into our heads. What are we doing? (laughs) Why are we trying to answer this question? Turns out about three meters, and then you kind of had to turn around because then you get a bit scared. But I wonder if at any stage that question popped into these friends' minds. We can't get in the front door. Great, let's go on the roof. Sounds great. Let's do it. And they get up there. Huh, there's no trap door. Okay, let's pull the tiles off. Let's break the ceiling up. Okay, now we've got to lower this guy down. Is there any stage where they kind of went, hang on a second. I'm not sure if this is a great idea. But there was something at work inside of their hearts. There was something which drove them to not give up when obstacles came their way. And it says this in verse 20. It says, when Jesus saw their faith. Whose faith? When Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. It was the faith of the friends who brought him to Jesus, not the faith of the guy on the mat. 
Which leads me to tell you this, that there is a God who can and will meet the needs of that person that you have been praying for and believing for. And it's got nothing to do really about their faith. It's all about the responsiveness of our faith as we bring them before God. What is our faith for those people who can't get to Jesus themselves? What is our response? That's exactly what happened to me. I didn't want to necessarily go on a church camp 20 years ago. But I had a friend, I had my brother who knew that God had a solution to the things that I was going through. And God ended up changing my life incredibly in that moment in time. And it happened before I even had the faith to believe that it could happen. But I had somebody who was willing to be responsive on my behalf. Are we willing to be responsive towards the needs of the people around us before they actually believe that it can happen? Can we be that friend to somebody else? I think it's amazing that these friends brought their paralyzed mate on, a, on the mat that he was lying on. I don't know if you've noticed this before, but every time in Scripture, whenever Jesus healed somebody paralyzed, and the same was with the man um, who, who met Peter and John on their way to the gate, uh, the gate called Beautiful. Whenever Jesus met somebody who was paralyzed, he always mentioned the mat that they were lying on. If you have a look at it, even Jesus told the, the man at the pool of Bethesda, he said, get up, pick up your mat and go. There's something about that mat. See, this mat was, was the wheelchair of the day. It was the crutches of, of the day. These mats were symbolic of what that person was going through. If you saw somebody lying on a mat like that, you knew that they were paralyzed. You knew that they were crippled. You knew that they had an ailment that at that time could not be cured. It was the thing that became synonymous with who they were. Your identity, your memories, your experience were all attached to this mat. And I bet they didn't like it. I bet they didn't enjoy lying on that mat one bit. But they physically could not get away from it. And there are people around us, and maybe this is even you today, where you are stuck in a scenario and it has become your identity. It's become the thing that you are synonymous with. It's the thing that is, that, that is linked to who you are. And if you could change it, you would change it. But you don't know how to do it, and you're, so you're stuck on this mat, and you don't have the ability to get off it on your own. And there are things that you and I just can't change, and that's where we need the healing power of Jesus, because there are some things that even our will, our willpower, and our good intentions cannot be enough for. You can't change your desires on your own. You can't move on from the pain of the past just on your own. You can't heal the wounds of what has happened in your life just on your own. We need the healing power of Jesus to come and do what only He can do in our lives. But what I love about the story is it shows us that with the right group of people around us, the thing that got you down doesn't have to keep you down. The thing that brought you down doesn't have to be the thing that keeps you down. With the right group of people, that event in your life won't be the defining scar of your life. With the right group of people around you, the setback won't be the end of your story. With the right group, what happened for the last 10 years doesn't have to be what you're going to go through for the next 10 years. With the right group, when you miss an opportunity, it doesn't mean that you won't have the courage to take the next opportunity that comes your way. With the right group of people around you, what got you down doesn't have to be the thing that keeps you down. 
It's about relationships. It's about having people around us. And some of us have a group around us, but it's not the right group. You've got to ask yourself the question, is the group that you're with taking you somewhere? Are they taking you to a place where you can't go on your own? Or are you still stuck in the same place? Do you fuel each other's stuckness? That's not a real word. I made it up, but let's go with it. Stuckness. That's a great word. There are times and moments and seasons in our lives where we're going to feel paralyzed. Where we feel like we can't move forward. Where we ask God, where are you in the midst of this? And we wonder, how am I ever going to move on from this? And there are times in all of our lives where we need a group of people around us. A group of people who will meet us where we're at. And will help move us forward. Who will grab a corner of the mat that we're lying on. And will take us to a place where we can't go on our own. I mentioned it before that we don't know what got this man down. We don't know what happened. But what we do know is that he didn't stay down. And there are some of us who have been brought down to a place because of our choices. There are some of us that are down because we were born into that situation and that has caused that that scenario that we find ourselves in. We were born into dysfunction. We were born into addiction. We were born into a misinformed mindset and decision-making. Others of us had a good example before us, but we chose to do it in our own way. And those choices have, have, have led us to a place where we never intended to go. But those choices have led us to being in a place now where we almost feel paralyzed, where we can't move on, where we don't know how to get up off that mat. And can I say there are times when Jesus will come and meet us right where we're at in our state of paralysis and he'll lift us up from there. But then there's also times when we need a group of people who will come around us, pick up our mat that we're lying on and carry us to the place where Jesus is. With a responsiveness in faith that God can do all things. Which leads me to a myth that I want to dispel this morning. And that's the myth that says, if I've got Jesus, then I don't need people. If I've got Jesus, well, then I don't need people. You'd be surprised how many people think that. That I've got Jesus and so I don't need people. I I don't need the church. I don't need leaders around me. I've got Jesus and I don't need anyone else. Can I say that's not only not true, but it's also unbiblical. Yes, God is our main source and in him we have everything. But God is going to give us all the things that we need, as it says in Matthew 6. And often it's people that he uses as the release of his miracle and power in our lives. God uses the people around us to bring the healing, to bring the breakthrough. So who's in your corners? Who do you have around you? On the cross as Jesus was dying, the people that he loved most were there at the foot of the cross. And Jesus said to his mother, Mary, he said, Mom, here's your new son. Well, he's pointing to John and then said to John, here's your mother. See, he left the people that he loved the most with somebody. He didn't leave them alone. People are important. Who we have around us is important. We're not meant to do this on our own. 
I say all of that really to get to this verse in James 5. James 5, 16, it says this. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of the righteous person is powerful and effective. Isn't it interesting that James doesn't doesn't say confess your sins to Jesus? Now, of course, that doesn't mean that we don't confess our sins to Jesus. 1 John 1.9 says that if we confess our sins to him, to God, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That, that healing, that cleansing, that forgiveness only comes when we confess our sins to Jesus Christ. But James says, confess your sins to one another. So, so what does that mean? Does it mean that we're going to have to set up a confessional booth here at the front of the church? Do we dedicate part of our service to confessing sins to one another? Maybe we can do that in the meet and greet time. Say hello to somebody. Tell them what you really did this week. (laughs) How's that going to go down? (laughs) Welcome visitors. (laughs) No, no, we're not doing that. We're not doing that. (laughs) No, you see, if we confess our sins to God, he is faithful to forgive us. But when we confess to the group of people that we allow in our lives, it sets us free from trying to carry it all on our own. It's saying to the people that we allow to take our corners, hey, I'm struggling with this thing and I need you to carry me. Confession doesn't have to be this massive big event. But it's where you have people around you that you can be open and honest so that you don't have to carry the burden of what you're going through on your own. Hey, I'm having some issues with my attitude lately. Hey, I've said some things at work that I'm not proud of. Hey, I know that I could do better in my marriage. I know I could do better in the relationships that I have. I know I could do better in my walk with God. I know I'm forgiven, but I want to, be, I want to walk freely into all of that and not try and do it all on my own. See, we can walk in forgiveness because God has set us free. But if we're weighed down with the weight of doing it by ourselves, eventually it's like putting a mat down on the floor and lying down and never getting up from it again where we're weighed down by it so much that we can't get up again, where we're not moving forward anymore. We're stuck in the mentality that we have to shoulder it all on our own. And I have a sense today that there are some people who you've been forgiven by God, but you haven't been set free from some things. You're still trying to carry it too much on your own. You're still trying to carry those things. You haven't had people come around you who can grab a corner of your mat with you. Have you been trying to walk this out on your own for too long? See, healing happened in the story when they gathered around the friend who couldn't do it on his own. And they came to Jesus together. They brought him before Jesus. Maybe the confession that needs to come out of your mouth this morning is, hey, I'm feeling but paralyzed and I can't walk on my own. Will he help me to get to where Jesus is? Hey, I know I'm forgiven, but I still need help to be freed from carrying this all by myself. Can you, can you come around me? Can you grab a corner of my mat for me? Can you pray for me? Can you pray for me? Because I'm supposed to extend grace to that person, but that person's on my last nerve, and I don't want to damage the relationship. So can you pray for me to be honorable and, and to have the right attitude? 
Can you pray for me? Because we've been trying to be good stewards of our resources, but we, we make silly financial decisions and it's causing conflict between us. Can you pray for us? Can you pray for me? Because I, I ha- things haven't gone the way that I hoped they would go and I, I don't want bitterness to take root inside of me. Can you pray for me? Can you pray for me? Confess your sins to one another and pray for each other so that you may be healed. But how can you do that if you're not in a group? How can you do that when you're your own little island, isolated from everyone else? Musicians, please come. In just a moment, I want to provide an opportunity for you if that is you today. And you feel like you need a group of people to come around you. In just a moment, we're going to gather around those who need a friend to grab the corner of your mat for you today. Like I said, confession doesn't have to be this massive big thing. And neither does it have to have the negative stigma that seems to be associated with that word, confession. Oh, gosh. Confession. Oh, you must be really bad. (laughs) This isn't Dirty Laundry Sunday. This is doing life together. This is doing life God's way, where we don't do it on our own, but we rely on one another. We come together as a family, that we are friends for those who are going through hard times. And we come together, we surround each other. And when somebody's struggling, we grab a mat, a corner of their mat, and we say, come on, I'm going to take you to the place where I know you're going to get healing. I'm going to take you to the place where I know you're going to be restored. I can't do it, but I know somebody who can. God never intended any of us to do this on our own. Maybe your confession today is simple. Maybe it's just, hey, I'm struggling. And that's all it has to be. Maybe it's, hey, I want to be all that God wants me to be. But right now, if I'm honest, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Can you pray for me? See, here's the thing. The right group won't let you stay where you're at. If you've got the right group of people around you, they won't let you stay in that place where you're at. They'll carry you. They'll uphold you. They'll walk this out with you. The right group of people won't let you stay where you're at. So the question is, where are you at? And have you been in that place for too long? Has that place become your identity? Has your thinking been now ruled because of where you're at? Is your outlook on the future based on where you're at right now? Is today the day that you stop wishing that you could be healed? And you put your hand up and say, hey, I need some people around me to grab each corner of my mat. I need someone to lift me up. We need lifters in our lives. We need people who will lift us up. People who will lift us with God's promises. People who will say, hey, you are more than a conqueror. Hey, friend, greater is he who is in you than he that is in the world. Hey, buddy, you are fearfully and wonderfully made, and God has a plan and a purpose for your life. See, the right group won't let you stay where you're at. They'll carry you. And the right group will present you to Jesus. That's their role. They'll present you to Jesus. 
Those friends of the paralyzed man, they didn't leave him where he was at. They got around him, they grabbed a corner of his mat and they lifted him and they took him to where Jesus was. And when they couldn't get through the front door, they did what they had to do. They did everything that they could simply to present him before Jesus. And that's what we're going to do today. We're going to be that group of people for you to present your needs to Jesus. Won't you stand with me this morning, church? So where are you at? Are you stuck? Have you been brought down by something? Because if you need a friend to grab a corner of your mat today, Right now, this room is filled with men and women who are willing to come around you, to lift you up and to pray for you. They may not be a doctor, but they can help bring you before the great physician. They may not be able to restore your marriage, but they can help lead you to the wonderful counselor. They may not be able to break your addiction, but they can bring you to the feet of Jesus. And He can do all things.